Today's episode is presented by Clark's. Clark's story began almost 200 years ago when Cyrus and James Clark made a slipper from sheepskin. At that time, it was groundbreaking, a combination of invention and craftsmanship that has remained at the heart of what Clark's does. From the very beginning, Clark's has always thought differently. Brilliant ideas are what set Clark's apart. And I know that my favorite pair of sandals, the ones that I can wear tromping around all day, that I can wear you know, running up and down the streets of small towns when I'm out on vacation, and my feet not be sore at the end of the day, are Clark's. And that's why I'm teaming up with Clark's in Podgo to bring you up to 30% off on select items, including on the iconic Clark's desert boot. Just go to podgo.co forward slash Clark's. That's P-O-D-G-O dot C-O forward slash Clark's to get that discount. Welcome to Mighty Parenting, the podcast with real, raw, and relevant talk about raising teens and parenting young adults. Welcome to Mighty Parenting, a community where we help you raise teens and parent 20-somethings so they can become happy, successful, and emotionally healthy adults. I'm Sandy Fowler, stress relief coach, emotional wellness speaker, and host of the Mighty Parenting Podcast. And I just want to remind you to go to mightyparenting.com and grab your free email series on how to talk to your teen. All right, parents, we've heard it all from our kids. We've heard the excuses about why things haven't been finished or maybe why they didn't start, didn't turn something in, they didn't apply for whatever, or they just didn't try. Or we've heard the despondency and seen the despondency when they keep trying and running into obstacles and then they just can't see how to go on. Our teens don't always step up or follow through, even when there's something they want. It seems like an obstacle obstacle pops up and they fall flat or they're hitting obstacle after obstacle and they sometimes they just get tired and they give up. It's frustrating for parents, it's disheartening for our teens, and so we got some help. Today's guest, Summer Owens, knows exactly what to do about this. Having become a mother at 15 is the result of a forced sexual encounter. She's not only raised her son, graduated from high school, college, and business school with honors, she founded So What in the So What Foundation, where she inspires people to eliminate excuses and overcome obstacles to their success. Today, she's going to be inspiring us with her story and helping us see how we can help our teens get over their obstacles. Summer, welcome to Mighty Parenting. Hi, Sandy. Thanks so much for having me. When I say your journey, the way I just said it there, we just go, oh, she graduated high school, college, business school. She founded a company, a foundation. It just sounds so simple, so clean. (laughs) And I know it wasn't simple or clean for you. So I'd love to hear a little about what this journey was like for you. A little little bit of your your background story. Yeah, sure. Yeah, no, it was not simple. (laughs) And it was not clean. It was a lot of uh, work, pain, tears um, in there that we, that not included in bio, but um. But the reality is uh, I did. I got pregnant, as you mentioned, when I was 15 years old. It was actually on my 15th birthday and then by a friend of, the, of my family. But I, um, I pushed through that very difficult time in my life and I had my baby. 
And um, I graduated from high school, as I mentioned. I went, I went back to school after being out for six weeks, you know, uh, after having my baby. I went back and I was just determined to stop feeling sorry for myself because I had spent that entire six weeks um, crying and really the nine months leading up to me having my child, um, crying and feeling sorry for myself. But then I made a decision that I was going to be successful in spite of being a teen parent. I saw the statistics, I knew the statistics, I, I knew people in my life who had become parents young and, and their lives were, were really hard. Their lives were really hard. And I did not want that for my life. And so I decided that I was going to do whatever it took to be successful in spite of being a teen mom. And so I went back to school. I was in the 10th grade and I went back and I said um, to my teachers, I need to catch up. I need to do whatever it takes. And I ended up graduating from high school, number eight in my class. And I did graduate with honors and I got a full scholarship to college um, when I was in college. I did the same thing. I, I was a leader on campus in high school and I decided I wanted to be a leader in college. I had my son with me. He went to class with me a lot and, uh, until he was old enough to go to the campus daycare. And he went to meetings with me and events with me. And I just made it work. And I graduated from college. Again, a lot of sacrifice, just like in high school, uh, sacrifice of you know time with my friends and hanging out and you know, being a normal teenager where I could really be selfish and take, you just look after myself. But then I started my career. Um, I got a job because I graduated from high, from college uh, with honors as well because of that hard work and that sacrifice. And um, I was Miss University of Memphis, graduated magna cum laude. And I, I started my career with the, the NBA team that had just moved to Memphis, which is the Memphis Grizzlies. And, um, and then I've, I've had an, a career with the Grizzlies. I went to service master. I got my master's degree. And um, then I went to work for FedEx. And then I started my own business after I wrote a book about my life. And um, and that just changed my entire life. That was a whole lot. <laughs> I mean, I know. And I was gonna, I was like, I could keep going, but I'm like, uh, let me let her talk. <laughs> well, it's interesting because Again, you know, in that summary, it's, you know, I did this and I took my son with me. And, and that was one of the things I did pick out from there is, okay, so you did these things. You finished high school and college and graduate school, but it wasn't because your family stepped in and said, hey, we'll watch the baby. You just go. Do right. It. Right. You were actually <laughs> being mom while you were doing this was I, I I there was even a point when I was pregnant and um when I first found out I was pregnant and one of my grandmothers uh even said to me you know we can raise him and he can be raised like your brother or I don't we didn't know the gender at the time but the baby can be raised like your sibling and I said no if I'm gonna have a baby then I'm gonna be mom then I'm going to be this child's mother and they will know that I am the mother um, and so I did have my son and let me back up. So part of my story that I wrote in my book, very important part of my story is when I was pregnant, I, I moved in with my grandmother. I'm the oldest of five and I have a stepfather and I didn't get along with my stepfather and it didn't get better while I was pregnant. And so I, I ran away from home, <laughs> which was not the right thing to do, but it is my story, my reality. And I ended up moving in with my grandmother. 
And I lived with her until I graduated from high school my, when my son was two. My first year of college, he did stay with my grandmother. She did say he could stay with her. And so I moved from Jackson, Tennessee to Memphis, Tennessee to go to college where I got in a full scholarship. And my son was in Jackson with my grandmother that year. However, I am the kind of person that I, I take full responsibility for, for my responsibilities. And so I went home every weekend to be with my son. And I, as often as I possibly could, I brought him back to Memphis with me. And I even snuck him in the dorm. I would um, keep him on campus for me a week at a time. My roommates would keep him, my sweet mates in college would keep him when I had class. And I became, a like I mentioned before, I was a leader on campus. So I had, even as a freshman, I had office hours that had to do for some of the organizations I was involved in. He would be there with me. The um, director of the organization would keep him for me when I had class. He would even spend the night with her <laughs> when I had tests I needed to study for. And that happened because people saw that I was working really, really hard. And they wanted to help me and they wanted to support me. And I appreciate that. But no, I did not have, I have a great family. I, I don't, you know, put down my family. But I didn't have a family that said, hey, just go on with your life and your career. We'll take care of your baby. I am grateful for my grandmother for that one year that he was with her. But like I said, I still came home every weekend. I brought him back as often as I could. And as soon as I was able to, um, move off campus. I moved off campus so that he could live with me. And um, and he started going to a campus daycare. And from that point on, I was, and he was three and a half, almost four years old. That point on, I lived in a city where I didn't even have family. My family, my support became the people that I met while I was in college. And, and, um, and it really, you know, I created the support system. Um, and, and, and I'm just grateful that I was able to make it, but I made a way even without my family saying, hey, we got it, just go on. Well, and it's easy to sit back and go, oh, you know, I, I wish my family would do that. Or to be a parent and, and to be in the position of going, well, what do we do, right? Do, do right. we take him? Do we let her struggle through this and find a way? What do you think that did for you that, that your parents, that your family, grandmother, just 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 family as a whole, that your family let you take on that responsibility, one that you were fully uh, all in on taking on. I mean, the way that you handled it the year that your grandma said he can stay here shows that. But how do you think that affected you and impacted you? I think, um, well, and so I, I, for me, I've always had... <laughs> Uh, and my mom always called me stubborn. I call it determined now. <laughs> but so even for them to let me, it was really more of a, this is what I know I have to do. It was never an expectation of me uh, for them to, to do more than what they had done. I knew I had to be there for myself. And, and I guess really and truly to answer your question and what it did for me was it showed me I could do it. It showed me that I could do it, that I could, even at 15 years old, I could be a mother. I could go to school. I could go to class. And I worked too. I didn't mention that when I was in high school. I had two jobs. 
I worked at Arby's and I worked at the Waffle House. Um, and I was in school and I was a student leader too. Um, but it showed me that I could do it and it taught me so many valuable lessons that are still with me today. And, um, and my, like my son's 25 years old now, so it's been a long time. But one of the most important things that it taught me was how to prioritize my life. And so I really had to learn what's really important. What do I, and even at 15 years old, when, you know, talking on the phone is really important. Hanging out with your friends is really important. I learned that that has its place, but what's more important is doing things that make you better, that make you a better person, that um, make you a smarter person, that make you a more well-rounded person. Um, and, and also taught me that although focusing on myself was important and very, very necessary, that because I was a mother, it taught me the importance of focusing on other people and developing other people and being there for other people. And so I, I feel like I learned that um, at an early age and that really shaped who I am. And the other part of it that I think was very, very valuable for my life and all the things that I've been able to accomplish in my life is it taught me how to manage my time, that I didn't have time to play or play around, that I had to, to use my time very, very wisely so that I could get ahead going back to what I said my goal was when I was 15 and find out, found out I was pregnant or soon after I actually had my son, I was like, I don't want to sit around and wait on somebody to give me money or to have to have to live in someone else's home or I wanted to be able to do for myself and have whatever I wanted in my life. And so because my family didn't step in and say, oh, we got it, just go on. I had to figure out how to do all those things on my own. And they made me a better, stronger person and have, even after I didn't have the responsibility of being a parent, it stuck with me to where I know how to manage my time. I know how to get a whole lot of things done. The work that I do now is solely about other people. So all of those lessons have um, that I learned at 15, 16, 17, and 18, you know, as I, as I raised my son, all those have stuck with me and have made me a better person that even now at, at 41 years old, I reflect on the lessons and the growth and development that I got because I was a teen mom. Well, and all of this, it sounds like, I mean, this is what you drew from to create your work. It's so what, you know, you're, you are now teaching other people how to not let obstacles get in their way. And it's one thing to do that for yourself. How do you go about teaching others to not let obstacles stop them? Well, so it's, it's so interesting how it all came about even. So I definitely at 15 years old, never thought that I would be sharing my story and using it to help other people. Even 10 years ago, I never thought it, I would. So 10 years ago is when I wrote my book and I published my first book, my memoir um, that I decided to publish after, because people, even when I was in college, they asked me, Summer, how in the world do, do you do it? And by it, they meant go to school, go to work, raise my child, and be involved on campus. And I said, I don't have time to, to think about it. All I have time to do is to do it. And so um, I got to a point in my life after I got my MBA and I started working for FedEx and my work-life balance got a little bit better because up until that point, I worked a lot when I worked for the MBA and when I worked for ServiceMaster, I had to travel a lot. And that was really tough as a single mom. 
Um, and so by the time I got to FedEx, I was no longer in school. I had my degree and I didn't travel as much. And so I decided to write the story. Um, and because I, it was, I can tell like, even right now we're talking and in the time that we're talking, I will share quite a bit, but I knew if I could write the story, then it would be so much more that I could share because what I wanted people to see, and this is how I feel like I've been a, really been effective at what I'm doing in, in getting young people to see how they can overcome obstacles is I, I want them to see a lot of people see me like, Oh, she made it. She has a nice car. She has a nice house. She has a great job. And they don't understand that. No, it hasn't always been like this, but I was a little girl who used to have to wear my mom's clothes because we couldn't afford for her to buy clothes for me. And then I was a teen mom and this is how I became a teen mom. And these are the sacrifices that I made. These are the obstacles that I had to overcome. And this is how I did it. And so I decided to write the book because I wanted uh, young people to to go all the way back and to see like, oh, she was bullied like me or she grew up in poverty like me. And here she is today. And to see some of the practical things that I did um, and how I made it happen. And so that's one way that I do it. And, and um, I have curriculum workbooks and all those things now that really help to pull out all those lessons for students, um, or not just students, but young people, whether in a, a youth organization or even if they're out of school, out of college, out of high school, and not in college, wherever they are in life, but for them to to see the obstacles and how I overcame those obstacles by reading the book. That's the one of the most powerful ways that I've been able to do that. And then two. Now, I, I do. I'm grateful that I'm open now with my story because it wasn't until I wrote my book um, 10 years ago that I even talked about what happened to me. Um, I just was living my life pushing forward and trying to be successful. Um, but I was in survival mode for so long. But then I decided to write my book and, and, and I became um, an open book. I really feel like, Sandy, that I found my purpose. After I wrote the book and people started reading it and telling me how it was helping them and, and even how the name of my business, So What, came to be was because I wrote the book for teen moms, but so many other people started reading and said, Summer, this is just for anybody who has any excuse to not be successful. And so I started speaking. People started asking me to speak. And, and it just came to me one night. Um, I feel like God spoke to me and said, so what? The name of your business is so what? Um, and I teach people to say, so what? To the bad things that happen to you or so what? To the, to the horrible circumstances you might be in or the horrible circumstances you create yourself. So what? It is what it is. So now what? How are you going to move forward from it? And it really is based on the serenity prayer and just moving forward because some things are happen to us in life that we have no control over but we do have control over how we react to them and and if we succumb to them or if we survive them and if we really make something beautiful and wonderful from it and I chose to to make something beautiful and wonderful from from my story well and I like the word so what because when I say that if I think of anything that slowing me down, holding me back, whether it's me or something else. Mm -hmm. As soon as I say, so what? It shifts the energy around that. Yes. 
it changes it from wanting to kind of sink, you know, we all do that, right? Where you just sort of sink down into that quagmire. Yes. And it's like, <laughs> oh, and being able to go, so what? I, I just feel like that's the first step that tells your brain, oh, wait, I am in control. Yes. And that's exactly what I share, see, is, is, is training your brain. Is no matter how bad the situation is, let your first thought be, so what? And, you know, naturally we are going to feel sorry for ourselves. And, and I spent so much time feeling sorry for myself initially when I was pregnant. Um, that that's what I learned when I, when I stopped feeling sorry for myself, when I said, so what, I'm pregnant or so what now I have a baby. And I buy someone who I, who forced himself on me and that I don't even know. Now that's horrible, right? So I could feel sorry for myself. Other people felt sorry for me. But then I, when I embraced the so what mindset, and this was before I came up with so what, but I, my mindset was there. It's like, okay, everybody else can feel sorry for me all day long. My, anybody can. People, my teachers felt sorry for me. Friends felt sorry for me. Parents felt sorry for me. But what is that getting me? It's not getting me anywhere by people just feeling sorry for me and me feeling sorry for myself. So when, for the rest of my life, it's been when bad things happen or find myself in a bad situation, first thing I say is, so what? First thing I say is, so what? And then, then my mind immediately goes to dealing with the situation, not feeling sorry for myself, not even wondering how did I get here? It's this is where I am, or this is what the situation is. How do we move forward from this? How do we move forward from it? How do we deal with it? And it's, and I always, I teach, it's you either accept it because there's nothing you can do about it because there are situations in our lives, there's really nothing you can do about it. So you do have to accept it and move on. But in most situations, we can do something about it. And so it's either you accept or you act and you do something. You do something and what I, I rule out is complaining. That's not an option. You can accept it, you can act on it, or you, but you cannot complain about it. And that's what saying so what does. It forces you to either say, I gotta be okay with it or I gotta do something about it. That's it. So one little pitfall though I can see here is I can see a parent getting really excited and going, okay, you know, I wanna do this with my teens. So the next time they come to me and they're complaining about something, I go, so what? And that one's going to backfire. Like you can't do that for somebody else, right? Right. And, and, and so I'm a parent <laughs> and, and I've messed up bad. I've done a lot of things that I'm like, oh man, I wish I wouldn't have done. I wouldn't have handled it that way for sure. So I get it as a parent and I'm still learning. He's 25 and, 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 and our relationship still isn't perfect. It's not exactly what I would want it to be. Um, it's an evolving thing and I'm learning and I'm growing. Um, still as a parent. But one thing that I say all the time, though, is to help people understand saying so what doesn't mean you don't care. It means you do care. But what you care the most about is not the problem. What you care about is the solution. You care about getting over the problem and getting to the solution. And in talking to your children or, or anybody in that situation, that's what you have to explain. Now, I will say this, Andy, I like saying so what and having a so what mindset, but you don't always have to say the words so what. 
So even in some of the worst situations, because COVID-19 has been devastating for a lot of people, including me, uh, a lot, I've lost a lot of family members. I've lost a lot of opportunities, a lot of business. Um, and so when somebody expresses that to you, you don't want to say, so what? That's hard. <laughs> it sounds harsh, right? It's a little rude. Yeah, a little cruel. It <laughs> <laughs> sounds harsh. But the reality is, what, is that you want to have a so what mindset still. It's about being resilient and knowing that, okay, you do have to embrace so what, whether you say the words, so what or not, in your mind, when you approach your child or, or anybody in a situation and they're dealing with something, a very challenging situation, then in, in your own words, in your own way, even if you don't say so what, it's like, okay, this is the situation. That's the so what. This is the situation. How are we going to move forward from here? What are we going to do to move forward? And that's the so now what. So you're still saying so what. And you're still saying so no, now what and how you move forward from it. Um, because sometimes, yeah, I know saying so what can sound kind of harsh. But sometimes we also need that jolt <laughs> of so what. Get over yourself. Let's keep it moving. It's going to be okay. What are you going to do? Well, I think a couple of things. One is we can develop that within our own families we can talk to our families about this concept and anyone who reads your book, which is a, a great memoir. Memoir is one of my favorite genres anyway. So, um, but you know, you can read that, you can talk about it. You can just talk about what you heard on the podcast here today and, and create a family vocabulary around that yeah. going, okay. Yeah. And when things happen now, one of the things that I always teach is we do have to feel our emotions in the moment, which is sure. not getting into the story. That was one of the things that I was thinking about while you were talking. And I was like, how does this fit in with my ideas that I learned from Jude Bijou about allowing ourselves to experience the emotion? But that's all about the emotion, not the words in the stories. That is just let the emotion move through you and out of you. Not sitting around complaining and whining and just being sad for ourselves in, in a, in a verbal way. <laughs> right. So that to me is kind of where, yes, you experience the emotion, then you go, okay, like you said, this is a situation. So what now what? Yep. And, and you're exactly right. And so, and I, I'm glad you added that about feeling the emotions because we are people, <laughs> we are people and we do feel, and we should feel. So in my situations, in, in the worst of the situations, I will allow myself time. And by time, I mean five minutes, maybe 10 minutes to, to grieve or to feel the hurt for just a minute. And like you just said, I'm like, I don't allow myself to go into the story. How did this happen? Why did this happen? And, and you know, and I do some reflection on that later just for the how you move forward and how do you keep these things from happening again. But in the moment it's okay, I'm entitled to feel this hurt or this embarrassment or this pain. Um, but I'm, I'm not going to sit in it. And I like how you also said how you let it, you feel it and, but you let it move through you. You sit, you know, you don't let it stay in you. And that goes to the point about complaining is we don't, we, complaining is not part of it. It's not even an option. 
it it's it may be a horrible situation it may be so unfair it may be completely unfair it might have have nothing to do with any of the things that you did or the choices that you made but it happened and so you feel entitled to complain but when you train your mind to say i can't complain about it i can only accept it or i can act on it and i, and I also like how you said um about the family vocabulary and that's why even for me with my son and my grandchildren because now i have two grandchildren <laughs> um I, I talk to them about other people's stories and other people's situations. And I like to share how other people are, have dealt with tough things, have overcome tough things. And I like to talk to them about the situation and, and point out what happened and how they overcame it and how they dealt with it. And so I think just regular conversation, regular communication about resilience and and looking at the situations from different perspectives and looking at other people's stories and having some empathy for other people's stories will help you to really kind of i think get stronger yourself and then make you look at all of your situations as they come in life um, in a different way and that, that really does i think start to build the so what mindset where things happen and then you can start to even laugh about things when they happen that before you thought it was so major and now that you have this so what mindset you're like it's not even really anything to get upset about um and it is it just comes from from training and reminding our kids hey you've dealt with other things before you said you know have regular conversations with your kids about how other people overcame things and i think we can also remind them how they have overcome things I like to use this example um, and, and people kind of laugh about it, but when you really think about it, I think it's, it's, um, it's kind of powerful. I like to remind people of a time in their life when every time they tried, they fail. Every time they tried, they failed, but they kept getting up, kept trying, kept falling, and eventually they didn't fall at all. They didn't fall at all. And that was when we all learned how to walk, right? Mm -hmm. When you learned how to walk, no, you don't even remember. So now you get up. If you're an able-bodied person, you get up and you just walk without a second thought. But there was a time in your life when you couldn't do that, where you kept falling, you kept failing. And so I like to apply that to my life now and think about when I am failing, when I'm making mistakes and I'm failing and I'm learning from those mistakes, but I know that I'll get to a point where I won't even really re even remember how that felt or the frustration behind that. And so that's a point in our life that I think we can reflect on. We like, we know we did fall. We know we did fail, but that was a time when we were really resilient and we can apply that to our lives now. And, and so I just laugh when I make a mistake or when I fail, because I'm like, I know there's going to be a point in time where I'm doing this in this second nature and I'm not even thinking about when I fail. So as a parent, what did you find most helpful in instilling a so what mindset or helping your son learn to overcome obstacles? Because that's what we're talking about here, right? So we've got these teenagers who stop because there's an obstacle in their path. Do you have any other advice that we can use to help, help them learn to get past those? I think those are the main things though is, uh showing them where they have done it before reminding them and not and, and and you as a parent too reminding yourself 
of the successes that you've had in those times in your life when you're like, I don't, I didn't even know how I was going to make it. or I didn't think I was going to make it. And for our children, the times when, you know, they thought that they weren't going to pass that test and they just knew that they weren't going to make the basketball team. So reminding them of those times when they felt defeated, but they overcame that because sometimes you need somebody else on the outside to, to, to show you, to help you to remember those times when you've done this before. And then, and like I said, I'm, I'm really big on stories. So you said memoirs, your favorite genre is mine too. So I, I like reading and knowing, hearing other people's stories. And, and I think that's something that we can, can do with our, our kids. Now, whether they read or not, so some read a lot for pleasure or, or, or not, I would encourage that though to share the stories of overcomers, people who have overcome tremendous things. But I also would try to help them to um, to share with them the stories of normal people who've overcome not so tremendous things, right? But sometimes it's easy for us to, I think I've seen this happen, dismiss the story or, or even in my example, oh, I wasn't a teen mom, so I can't relate or I don't understand, you know? Mm-hmm. But Maybe we can we can connect them to somebody who is dealing with the same thing, who has overcome the exact same thing that they're dealing with. Um, I'm a big resource person. So I know I just I know that we do the best that we can as parents. But just like our parents were not everything to us, couldn't be everything to us. We can't be everything to our children either. And so. I'm all about introducing them to other people um, and building that that village of people that they can talk to and that they can express themselves to. And then not just the people, but also the resources and the and the tools to help them to um, to really kind of understand themselves. And by understanding themselves, it's understanding their their weaknesses, but also understanding their strengths and how their strengths can can help them to overcome their challenges. I love the idea, Summer, of having conversations with our kids about things they have overcome as a way of reminding them of their strengths. Even things like, I I was using an example about your kid getting frustrated in a video game in a webinar I did the other day. Mm -hmm. And, you know, they hit that level and they're upset because they can't get past that level. And we just go in and go, yeah, I hear you. That can be really frustrating. Well, how did you get to this level? How did you <laughs> learn whatever you needed to do to get here? And sometimes it's something as simple as that, just reminding them that they've done it before. They've you've done, done it before. Uh, you've done this before. <laughs> yeah, it might not be exactly the same this, but you have, as you said, we all learned to walk. You know, if, if, if we're able-bodied, if we are able to speak, we walked, we talked, you know, we learned all these things in our lives and we just negate it. And we, right. we don't always place enough value on the things that we have already learned or that come easily to us. My dad always said when we were growing up, he, we would, maybe we understood something and someone else didn't or he would, you know, show us how to do something. I'd be like, oh my gosh, that's so easy. I was so stupid not to get that. And he's like, it's only easy when you know how to do it. Uh, right. And he's like, it, yeah, you can learn it. You absolutely, you have the ability to learn things, but 
it wasn't easy until you actually already did it. So I think reminding our kids that they have learned all these things and that they can learn is really helpful. So some of the things I've heard you tell us that we can do is whether we're doing it for ourselves or we're helping our kids learn to do it, but we want to train our brain so that our first thought is, so what? Yep. <laughs> and realize that when something happens, when we find ourselves in circumstances, whether they were thrust upon us or we created it ourselves, we can either accept it or act. And act means doing something. Complaining isn't doing something. And the one thing I did want to ask, when you say accept it, you mean just sort of sit back and go, okay, this is what it's going to be. And, and just choose to live in that versus taking action to change it. Is that what you mean by accept? Yeah. Yeah. And that's what I mean. So um, there are, and, and, and so for, before I even say that, in most cases though, we can't act. And we have to accept before we can act. We do have to accept with the situation before before we can act. But um, there's this thing called learned helplessness where we feel like we can't do anything about the situation. And it's dealing, teaching your mind how to overcome learned helplessness to understand in most situations, there is absolutely something that you can do about it. But in some situations, for example, what I've unfortunately experienced during COVID-19 a lot of deaths. I have personally lost family members. So th that's a situation where I have to accept it, right? There's, there's nothing that I can do about it. People lose family members, though, or friends, and they can't get past it. And they have a very hard time getting past it. And they can accept it they can't move on with their lives and they, they hurt. They spend a lot. And I'm, I'm talking beyond the regular grief, but they can't move past it. So those are some situations you can't do anything about. Let me give a lighter example there. Um, and this, cause I work with young people a lot. So some, some people have physical features that they don't like. And a lot that I hear kids, Picking, when I say kids, I mean of all ages, even big kids, grown-up kids, <laughs> a nose, right? So maybe you have a big nose. And yeah, you can have, there is something you can do about it. Um, you can have plastic surgery. But in general, maybe there's, you're a, a high school student, you have a big nose, plastic surgery is not an option for you. You have to accept it. I have a big nose. Saying, so what? I have a big nose. And so now what to that is, this makes me unique. My big nose makes me unique. Or this is what connects me to my family. I look like my grandfather. But finding some sort of positive in those situations that maybe you really can't do anything about. But because you got to accept it. You, get, you have to accept it. Does that make sense? That does. So it's, we can either accept something or we can act. And those are both taking us in a positive direction. It's when we don't accept it or we choose not to take action that we end up in that quagmire and the self-pity and just that nasty place that leaves us It keeps unhappy. you from moving forward. It keeps you from moving forward right? and, and living your life to the fullest. So even in the example with the nose, right? If you can't accept it, then you're, you're all, you're always looking down or hiding your face or now you're, 
you're you're more of a recluse and you don't express your ideas or your feelings because you're concerned about how people are looking at your nose uh, or you feel sorry for yourself. It's just so much negativity that comes from it. And you end up not, not graduating from high school. I mean, it's just, it's, I've seen it happen over some of the most minor things that I say minor, but it's, it's major to, to that person, obviously, but it can keep you from being positive and productive and living your life. And even on the, on the other side of it, or the worst case scenario is people commit suicide over a lot of these things that if they could just embrace the mindset of acceptance of who they are or acceptance of what that situation is, or if they can't act to actually do something about it. And I'll give the, a simple example, a related example for acting. I was bullied my entire childhood because I had buck teeth and I suck, I suck my thumb. So I pushed my teeth out and I, I got called beaver and rabbit and, and all that. My family was poor. They could not afford braces for me. And so all of my life I had, I had buck teeth, but when I really started to embrace my so what mentality, which was when I was in high school, it was like, this is who I am. These are my teeth. <laughs> this is this is just what it is. And you can tease me, you can make fun of me, but I'm like, so what? So when somebody says, hey, beaver, hey, rabbit, I've already accepted it. So now when you say it, it's nothing to me. I'm like, I know, we already established that. I do this thing called the so what statement um, with students. And I have them to say, so what, whatever their thing is. So in that example, so what, I have bug teeth. And they share it with the group. So now, guess what? If you come to me and you're trying to make fun of me about my buck teeth, I'm like, so what? I already said that. We already addressed that. <laughs> I'm moving on. And then when I got to uh, be an adult and I had my career, I could afford braces. And so I did something about it. I got braces. You accepted and then like did something. Exactly. And that's why I said the basis of acting starts with accepting anyway. You have to accept what the situation is and then figure out how do you move forward from it. But that's the main thing. I think that people, um, I want people to hear, parents to hear, our children to hear, is that in most situations, you can do something about it, whether that something is, is, is reading a, a book about it uh, or talking to someone about it. You can do something, or sometimes you can do something super major um, about it. And in my case, I used those things that were very, very hurtful to me, that were once very embarrassing to me, that changed my life um, and impacted me in such a major way. I'm using it to help other people see that, hey, life can be unfair. It can be messed up. But how do you move forward from it? And, and how can you benefit from it? How can you help others benefit from it? And your story there with the bullying reminds me, um, Randy Ginsburg was on episode 138. He also was bullied. And when he was in high school, for a while, he tried fitting in and the bullying got worse. When mm -hmm. he just accepted who he was and what he liked and that, yeah, he was really different. As he moved into that, the bullying just naturally stopped, which was really interesting too. He, he didn't say, oh, I'm going to do this to stop the bullying, but it just dissipated as he accepted himself. Right. And that's because you don't feed into the energy of it when you're not, when you're not giving it attention, when you're not responding to it, it's no fun <laughs> for the bullier. 
It's no, uh, for the one who's doing the blunt, it's no fun if it doesn't seem like it's hurting you. And that's, and it's not hurting you if you've accepted it. And so that's how that works. And I mean, and I, I've seen it clearly in my life. I see it in the lives of other people. If you can accept who you are just as you are, then anybody who tries to hurt you with criticizing who you are, it doesn't affect you because you've already accepted this is who, who you are, how you are. So Summer, I really appreciate you being here today. For anyone who wants to learn more from you, where can they find you? I am, I'm all over social media and I love communicating with, uh, with people, but links to everything are at my website, summerowens.com. All right. Thank you so much. And thank you for sharing your story. You know, we did some here today and you did it so candidly in your memoir. And I know that's not an easy thing to do, but it's helpful to so many people. So thank you for doing that. It's absolutely my pleasure. And Mighty Parents, thank you for being here. If you learned something today or this episode helped you, please share it with another parent. And then remember, like I said, pop over to mightyparenting.com, grab that free email series on how to talk to your teen. And if you are here, if you are listening, you are a mighty parent, remember that you got this and I will see you next week.